Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game-changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanicure. Manny 20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. At the root of our subconscious patterns are where we source our self-worth from because our self-worth then dictates a set of unconscious, subconscious patterns and behaviors, which can then influence our food choices. And our food choices will then change the hormones in the body. And then the hormones in the body then change what's happening physically within the body. Hello and welcome to the Not Perfect Podcast. My name is Poppy Jamie, a recovering perfectionist and the founder of award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect. Like the app, this show is about hitting pause and taking time to look after our mind and soul. In this series, I explore how we can make life better in 2020. How can we reduce stress, enjoy life, bounce back from setbacks and get in flow? My guests will be sharing their expert advice and I hope you join me on the journey. Our theme music is courtesy of Mindstream. Visit mindstream.com to learn more about how their music and environments help you sleep, relax, focus and move or find their music on any streaming platform. Let's crack on with the show. You guys are in for a really interesting episode about psychology and food. This week's interview is with the author, speaker and diet industry disruptor, Dana James. She is a triple certified nutritionist, functional medicine practitioner and cognitive behavioral therapist. She takes a rare approach to women's weight loss by putting self-worth and personality types at the center of the conversation. In today's show, we talk about Dana's book, The Archetype Diet, and Gabby Bernstein wrote, this book is a must read for any woman struggling with her body image. 
learn how to value yourself and your body through Dana's soulful wisdom and guidance. And I really couldn't agree more. Dana breaks down diet plans based on four personality groups. She studied thousands of women and began to see there were four strong personality patterns emerging that influenced eating behaviors and food choices. This interview and Dana's work helps you to understand your archetype and how you can change your biology by eating in a way that supports your psychology. You may want to take the personality test on Dana's website and I'll put that in the show notes to find out which archetype you are. I hope you enjoyed today's show as much as I enjoyed recording it. What's a quote you return to often and why? You know, that's an interesting question because for me, it keeps evolving. Like I read extensively and I'm often coming across quotes that, that at that point in time, they have a resonance for me. But when you say that there's one by Marianne Williamson and, and I use it with one of the archetypes called the, the femme fatale. And she says, you can't be comfortable in your skin if you think you are your skin. And you know, even as I say that, like I just get, I just get chills because so many of us, so many women and, and men do like there, there is this not fixation, but there is this belief that, that the more beautiful I am or the more attractive or handsome I am, you know, the better I am in society. And, and for the femme fatale in particular, where it's her entire self-worth is based on her physical appearance, trying to cut through that is incredibly difficult unless you understand like why you have this fixation on you, the way your appearance which is a sense of, I am my skin. No, you are not your skin. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like the successful woman is not due to her achievements. Like we're way beyond what we actually do and what we actually look like and what we give. What's a recent life lesson you've been reminded of? Probably due to the effects of COVID. So pre-COVID, I was in my typical Wonder Woman, which is an archetype that bases a sense of self on her success and achievement. And I was living in New York for so 14 years and my entire focus was, was my work. For four years, I was flying between LA and New York every other week. I got on 60 flights a year and I did that for four years. And it physically impacted my body in a way that I just didn't expect it to. And I look at the time that we're in today where everything's being done virtually and I'm like, wow, I could have done that. I didn't need to get on a plane and be in Manhattan every other week to work with my clients. So it's really this, we have these societal beliefs. We have this belief about our own self-importance and, and really to say, to really assess that and look at it, to say that, that what I can offer through a virtual consultation is very much on par with the, with the physical consultation and, and how, I don't want to be working the hours that I was working for those 14 years. Like I would be starting at eight and I'd be seeing my last client at seven. Like that's a ridiculously long hours for four days a week. They're just not sustainable. And here now in COVID I've cut down and I'm on a sabbatical, but I've cut down to about one and a half to two days a week. That's my sabbatical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just how much more pleasurable life is for me. I get to enjoy life today. I am the happiest that I have ever been in my entire life. I get this work aspect, but I get to be a wife and a lover and a stepmother and I get to travel even during COVID, I get to travel and and I'm working on renovating homes, my apartment in New York and I've just recently purchased a place in Portugal and I'm doing that. And so I'm fulfilling all of these other aspects of my life and that's the creative aspect coming in. 
Well, I mean, that was certainly my lesson. So I resonate with every single word you just said. And um, it's amazing. It took a pandemic to slow me down. Um, but I completely yes. agree with you. How do you define happiness? How do I define happiness? A sense of fulfillment. I think that's the way that we need to look at, at happiness. It's a body sense of, oh, I feel good here, like that fulfillment. Because you can have these layers of, okay, I feel a little sad today, or I feel a little irritated, or I feel a little frustrated, but you feel, ultimately, you feel really fulfilled. To me, that's happiness. So your book is called The Archetype Diet, but it is so far from anything that you would even assume a diet book would hold. You completely rebrand the word, and it's about an entire 360 lifestyle upgrade, and I yes. was glued to every single word, every single page. And I think one of the things that I just have not found in other books is that you do touch on every aspect of your life and also you bring a massive amounts of self-awareness and also you personalize it, which I feel the diet culture previously has kind of gone one size fits all. And then uh -huh. we've all kind of struggled going, oh God, this doesn't work for me, I'm a failure. At what point did you decide to take this psychological approach to food and lifestyle and having the 360 approach and why? Well, I originally studied nutrition and functional medicine in, and psychology in the UK back in 2002. And where I studied was at the Institute for Optimum Nutrition in Richmond. And I think it's still, I think the Institute is still there. And it was started by Patrick Colford, who you may be familiar with, who's a psychologist. So I always had my roots in psychology. During that program, we were trained very uh, distinctly in CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And our, our certification was as a nutritional therapist. So it was always combining therapy with nutrition. And the reason that he created that structure was he felt that nutrition and dietetics was too focused on the food and that most of us had some idea as to what to eat, depending on what the prevailing uh, diet view was at that time. That wasn't the issue. The issue was, well, why didn't you stick to it? Right? And starting to unravel that. So that was always, always in my training. But I will say that, that about five years into practicing, like I really got it. It didn't matter how perfectly calibrated the diet was to that particular person. If they couldn't stick to it, because most people can stick to something for three weeks and then boom, it was consistent. And I've worked with 5,000 women. Mm -hmm. um, and consistently on that third week, this is often why you have diets that just last 21 days, mm -hmm. because the 21 days to the 28 days is when we start to falter. And we falter due to our subconscious patterns. Mm -hmm. So that started to be the root of the archetype diet. Consciously, we know exactly what we should be doing, but something became more important. And what was it that became more important? And I realized there were four primary areas. And one was maybe work became more important. And so this became the basis of the Wonder Woman archetype. And by the way, the creation of the archetypes took years to create. Like it wasn't like I had this major download of, boom, I'll hear the archetypes. No, it was through years and years of observation and seeing all of this and then finally being able to categorize it and say, oh, here's the flow. And then it clicked. It was like at the root of our subconscious patterns are where we source our self-worth from because our self-worth then dictates a set of unconscious, subconscious patterns and behaviors, which can then influence our food choices and our food choices will then change the hormones in the body 
And then the hormones in the body then change what's happening physically within the body. And the archetype diet is based on, on fat loss. That's what it's designed. It is a, a fat loss book. But as you said, it covers a multitude of things. So, so that's the theme there. So let me give you an example to make it more tangible. If we use the Wonder Woman archetype, sources a sense of self-worth from success and achievement. So childhood patterns will dictate to that, that, that woman that for her to feel a sense of value, she needs to be successful. You know, we all have part of this because that's what our culture, certainly from the 1970s onward, that's what our culture believes. And, and so then if something, if she becomes very busy at work, the diet disappears. Right? All of a sudden, she is totally skipping her meals. The, the meetings creep in to her lunch break. So she might not even be eating, or if she is, she's grabbing, go, not necessarily thinking about what it is. By the time 4 o'clock rolls around, she's starving, could be grabbing the, the M&Ms or whatever is from the candy bar, mindlessly eating that way, even though she knows that she wants to be on a diet, she wants to get you know, healthy, have beautiful skin, like decrease inflammation in, in, in her body, whatever it is. But just that mindless grab, and then comes home, and at the end of the day, she's totally exhausted because she's been working here 8, 9, 10-hour day without much of a break. And then wants to grab the glass of wine because that's a reward for the day. Or maybe it's the, the dark chocolate because she needs to have something to say my day's over. So we'll just then go on to the next physical layer. So you have all of that stress, hardly any time for yourself. Maybe not too, too much time for your relationship. Certainly not too much time for the creative aspect of you. And then, and then you get cortisol. Cortisol is your dominant hormone. And where do we store body fat with cortisol? Most of us know that it's around the abdominal area. And so she will tend to struggle with that. She could be lean everywhere, but she'll tend to store it here. And so if she wants to lose the body fat from this area here, she needs to downregulate the cortisol response. Part of that's dietary, but a huge piece of that is lifestyle. Meditation becomes a major aspect of, of her protocol. If she misses the cortisol aspect, she's not going to see the body that she actually wants to achieve. Right? The dietary aspect of that is if she's eating things that her body is sensitive to, and under stress, you will become more sensitive to foods because there's a porousness that happens in, in, in the gut. And so if you eat the same food over and over, because this woman might eat the same salad five days a week because it's just easy. She doesn't have to think about it. I like press a button and it gets delivered. <laughs> mm. <laughs> same salad, it's easy. You don't have to think about it. Right? That's going to set you up for more likely to have food sensitivities. So I see almonds and salmon frequently coming in on food sensitivity tests. And they're healthy foods. But if they're overeaten, that can produce inflammation in the body. Let's go with another archetype. Another archetype is the nurturer. Now, the nurturer sources her sense of self-worth from giving to others and, and, and being their fathers. And they're always there for you. Like, I love the nurturer archetype. They're one of my favorite archetypes because they're just so giving. The downside is if they're not conscious of it, they'll overgive. They're giving, 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 and give. And they can, they can appear like a Wonder Woman if you're just purely looking at it from a career standpoint because they'll give just as much as what a Wonder Woman will. And actually, they can give more because a Wonder Woman will do a check-in with herself. Nurture will keep going. Or she's giving to a family. She might not even be working. She may be a mother. And she's just give, 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 give. And, and takes on the stress of everybody around her. So because she has very little time for herself, even less than the Wonder Woman, this archetype will typically grab, say, the gluten-free muffin on the way to work or grab the bagel or grab the granola and the yogurt because it's healthy. But everything is its from a convenience perspective. I'm going to grab that. And so if you are eating these convenience foods, then your body is going to be producing a lot of insulin. Insulin makes you store body fat all over the body. 
if that continues on, then what the insulin does is it elevates the estrogen. Then the estrogen levels will use that store body fat around the uh, upper thighs there. And then you have a whole host of issues that come from that. So the, the archetype that's most susceptible to breast cancer because of the estrogen effect is, is the nurturer. Um, she's the most susceptible to autoimmune diseases because of her diet and also because of the trauma that typically happens in, in childhood. So a nurturer often becomes a nurturer. She could be a more healthy nurturer because her own mother was a, a healthy nurturer, but she may be a dysfunctional nurturer where she didn't receive a lot of nurturing in her own home. There could have been some type of um, drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, or there was somebody that was sick in the family. Um, there could have been a brother that, that had some type of autism. And so the nurturing went towards the brother, but whatever it is, this particular archetype didn't necessarily feel nurtured. And, and when it takes on a little bit more of the, the, the trauma or the micro traumas, the, the archetypes become more dysfunctional. So more dysregulated, more, the things happen more in the unconscious. And so they become more out of balance. So the mind will really influence the food choices, which then influences what's happening in the physical body. And 20 years ago, we didn't understand that how hormones impacted weight loss. It was very much calorie counting, uh, calories in, calories out, which still has relevance today. Um, but we didn't, we didn't know that there were hormones that were produced in the fat cells. We didn't understand any of that. And now today we're pretty accepting of that. We understand the insulin connection. We understand the cortisol connection. Sometimes we understand estrogen, maybe, maybe not, but, but we get it. We know that that's the case. The next phase is to really look at the behaviors and the mind. And so if we miss that piece, we're going to constantly have these continuing obesity rates because you're not addressing the direct root of it, which is what happened in childhood. You know, why do you have these beliefs that, that whatever it is, like your work or giving to others is more important than you taking care of yourself? And that's, very, that's a very politically charged statement too because in the world of, of fat loss, like it's, a, it's bad, mm. right? There's a very, very small subset of the population, it's about 2%, that have a dysregulated relationship, a, a medically dysregulated relationship with food in terms of anorexia. There are more people out there that are binge eaters that are overeating than there are anorexics. And we need to address this. We need to look at the root of this. Of like, why is this person overeating? Or why is this, why, or even why is this person undereating? Like, let's have a, let's have a look at that. Like, what can we do as a society to no longer just like shove it in a box and instead address it? Absolutely. I mean, and this is what I think is so refreshing about um, your approach to it, because it is far more as you identify, um, it feeds into your mental health more than just blaming it on like eating. You know, for example, one of the reasons um, you say people kind of struggle losing weight is because they still uh, are not sleeping. And it's practically yes. then impossible. I would love to talk about that. What, you know, with the, all the women that um, you're out of your clients, what are the most common factors do you find preventing the results that they're trying to get? Let me step back and give you the, the weight loss equation. Yes. Please. Because we focused a lot on the, the mental side of it. Uh, the weight loss equation looks like this. So it's food and exercise, clearly. It's inflammation, it's your hormones, like the estrogen, progesterone, insulin, testosterone, growth hormone, you've got your thyroid hormone, you've got cortisol, DHEA, there's, there's a whole host of them. 
So, and then you've got that piece. So that, those are the physical pieces that you've got the gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome is all the bacteria in the gut and they will influence the hormones. Um, they will influence the mood. Uh, we certainly know from research that's, that came out about 10 years ago that when that's dysregulated, um, it increases the obesity rates. Um, so it's the way that the body processes the food. So we have all of those physical pieces there, which can be altered through the diet, altered through the diet and, and supplements. Then you have the um, emotional and behavioral aspect, and then you're looking at the subconscious influences. So to me, that's the, the weight loss equations and, and sleep, like sleep would fall into that. So it's funny because people don't understand this, that, that with a lack of sleep, it will make it harder to lose the weight. Part of that reason is that when you have truncated sleep, so less than seven hours, is that the body produces inflammatory cytokines. Those inflammatory cytokines will interfere with your ability to burn body fat. So if you think about body fat, like it's actually called adipose tissue. So you've got fat in here, but you have a whole host of other little hormones in here. And the vast majority of the adipose tissue is actually inflammatory cells. So when you have something that's inflaming the, the body, you're going to expand those fat cells. It also, the inflammation will also inhibit the thyroid function. So this is why everybody's on this sort of anti-inflammatory process for a weight loss plan because it changes, it changes those hormones. So lack of sleep will produce these inflammatory cytokines. Due to lack of sleep, it also changes our, our appetite. When the inflammatory cytokines are elevated, it makes us hungry. So when I was flying between LA and New York, by the time day four rolled around, I would wake up in the morning because I'm slightly jet lagged and all I would want would be a croissant. I just wanted a croissant. Now I knew what it was about and I could have the conversation with myself. So you're actually just tired. What you need to do is get to bed tonight and get some sleep. Right? You don't need the croissant and that's actually going to make you feel worse because it's going to spike your blood sugar levels, spike your insulin levels, and then it's going to drop you flat and you'll be really hungry in, in about two to three hours. So what do you do when you can't sleep? First of all, the, the supplements that I would add to that would be, the first one wouldn't be magnesium. So magnesium, it's a very calming nutrient. If that's not enough for you, then I would try some 5-HTP. 5-HTP is the precursor to serotonin, which is then the precursor to melatonin. I do use melatonin. I have a preference for 5-HTP for because melatonin can just be a little bit too punchy. You've also got the meditation. So if you're a little wide or anxious about something, doing a nice, nice breath meditation before bed is really helpful. One that I used to do when I was just between the two coasts is from a Kundalini practice and you would lie on your stomach, you turn your face to the right, you block your right nostril and you breathe through the left nostril because the left is calming and the right is activating. So you're just breathing through the left nostril, you put an eye mask on, you set your timer for five minutes and you just breathe at just a normal, a normal natural rhythm and the body will sink in. I would find that at three minutes, uh, there'd be a click in my brain and I would just feel it being down-regulated and then I could go to sleep. Wow. And going back to the, the cortisol piece and we'll touch on those hormones uh, and fat loss. As a society, we sort of know that cortisol is an inhibitor to, to fat loss. During COVID, I've been working with a tool called the Lumen, and it's a breath analyzer. And so you breathe into it in the morning, and it analyzes whether you're burning body fat or whether you're burning carbohydrates. So do people use this uh, for ketosis? Is this a bit like a No, it's not thing? ketosis, because okay. you don't need to be in ketosis to burn body fat okay. at all. It's not my philosophy. 
because mm-hmm. there's a whole host of issues that happen down the track. Mm-hmm. 50% of the clients that I'm currently working with right now, to my more challenging clients, they actually need to eat carbohydrates to lose weight. Wow. Yes. So your body has the ability to use carbohydrates and fat as a fuel source. You don't want to lose the ability. You want to be able to use both sources. So that requires you to eat carbohydrates. It's like, it's like old school bodybuilding days of when they would shrink their meals down to almost nothing and then they would have an off-plan day to eat whatever it is that they want. And that helped stop their body from calibrating to a lower metabolic rate, which naturally would have happened with a lower level of food. So you need to get some of these carbohydrates in to, to actually stop that process from happening. So this little machine will tell you on a scale of one to five if you're burning body fat or burning uh, carbs great tool to use during COVID because a lot of the social aspect had gone away for the, a lot of my clients. It was, it was the social pressures of, of being out and certainly being in New York city was what took them off track. Now we could do this in a more controlled environment and a four means you're burning carbs and a five means you're really burning carbs. And I have one client and she'd wake up in the morning and it would be a four, but her diet was really beautiful. She didn't, hadn't eaten too many carbohydrates she was stressed or she hadn't slept well. And, and I said, let's have you meditate for 10 minutes. She'd meditate for 10 minutes and then she'd blow again and she'd be a two. Wow. So two puts you back into fat burning. Just for everyone who's listening, this tool, and I'll put it in the show notes, but it's almost like the size of kind of, I would say less than a hand and it's black and it's, it looks like a breathalyzer, um, but it's super small, very easy to almost put even in a handbag. Yes, because you can travel with it. I have no affiliation with the company. <laughs> I just think it's an amazing tool. Yeah. And the clients that I'm working with now, I would say that 90% of them are on it because I feel like I don't have the knowledge now without the tool. Mm. And sometimes clients will undereat and overexercise. And when that happens, you're burning protein, you're burning muscle, and you're burning the gut lining, and that muscle gets converted to glucose, so it's going to read as a carbohydrate reading. And so then, the, then for them, they need to go and load up on carbohydrates for the day and boom, they're back to fat burning the next day. So, you know, weight loss can be very simple, but it can be extremely complex, you know, particularly for those people that have been long-term dieters. Could we just slightly um, just go into the hormones? Like what are the kind of the basics we need to know about hormones? So the irony is, is that if you under eat your, your calories, you won't always lose. That's the hard part to understand. If you overeat, you're going to gain. If you undereat, there's all these different hormones that, that will alter your physical body so that you may not lose. Now, the one that we're very familiar with is the thyroid hormone. We don't want the body to calibrate to a lower level of calories because it will do that. That's where you hear these set points being, being spoken about. We don't want that to happen. And that, the mechanism that that is done through is the thyroid hormone. So... You have an active thyroid hormone and an inactive thyroid hormone. The active thyroid hormone is called T3. The, the inactive is called RT3 or reverse T3. So under stress and inflammation and uh, long-term uh, calorie restriction, you are not going to go down to T, the T3 pathway, which is the active uh, thyroid hormone you're going to shoot off to reverse t3 which is an inactive thyroid hormone so you get less of this t3 but but more than that this rt3 blocks the receptor cells so even though you're still producing t3 it can't click into the receptor cells and the body to, the body can't hear it wow very easy way to think about it the thyroid hormone is an accelerator 
Like it revs you up. So does cortisol. It revs you up. The body's really smart. If you've got a lot of cortisol going through your system already revved up, it doesn't want you to have a whole lot of thyroid hormone going through your system because you're going to be too revved up. So it shuts that down. Um, cortisol, we've spoken about. Um, insulin. So insulin, every time we eat a carbohydrate, the body produces insulin. Every time, even when we eat protein, the body produces the, the insulin. It just has a negating hormone called uh, glucagon, which will negate that effect. If you overeat, if you have a really large meal, the body's going to produce insulin as well. Insulin is a, it's a wonderful hormone. It's designed to get the glucose into the cells so that you have energy. It moves whole, uh, amino acids into the muscles so that you can repair the, the tissues. It moves tryptophan into the brain so that you can create serotonin. It's, it's wonderful. We just don't want too much of it. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the way that we eat, there's just too much of it. And, and so the insulin directs all the fat cells all over the body. It's no particular place to gobble up the, the excess glucose, which is then converted to the triglycerides and it takes it in. Um, then we have testosterone. We know that testosterone uh, helps to create uh, muscle growth um, and also stimulates fat loss. Growth hormone is another one, which after the age of 30, it always starts to, to, to drop off. Then you've got estrogen, and so estrogen, estrogen is a plumper. Like estrogen's useful. We need the right amount. We don't want it to be too low because that's what happens with the ethereal archetype, which is often too low in the estrogen. So it's a like everything's like plump, but when there's too much estrogen, everything gets a little bit too much plump. Right. Uh, <laughs> and and then you have you know endometriosis and uh, PMS and all sorts of other things that happen when the, those hormones are, are dysregulated. So do you believe then that, for example, endometriosis, do you believe the diet can cure endometriosis because it's changing your hormones? I'm not going to say it can cure it, but it can have an influence on it. And it depends on what the cause of the endometriosis is. So the endometrial tissue is estrogen sensitive. And so if there's too much estrogen in the woman's body, that will alter it. Mm. Interesting. But we cannot say that it can cure it, and it depends on what the situation is with that particular person. Got it. Then you have progesterone, which has much less of an influence on uh, the fat loss, um, but more to do with mood and sleep. So if sometimes women will find that the week before they get their period that they don't sleep as well, and it's at that point that the progesterone levels should be at their peak, but they can be lower than where they need to be. Going back to that first comment you said, women really struggle on day 21 to 28. What do you recommend to your clients to be able to, in those pivotal days, turn maybe this new lifestyle that you so clearly lay out into a lifelong habit? Yeah, 21 to 28 day is at that point in time, the estrogen is a little lower and the progesterone is higher. That's the way it's supposed to be. Estrogen is an accelerated serotonin. So with the lower levels of the estrogen, you can, obviously you can get grumpy. You get grumpy and snappy and irritable and your partner annoys you and everybody annoys you. And that's just <laughs> a low, low level of serotonin. So that's the time when we tend to crave more of those carbohydrates. I always hope that when I'm working with women, they get one day, not seven days. That's my goal. It's like one day where you're like really intensely craving chocolate um, or some type of carbohydrates. So, but if that's not you, then just during that time, add in more carbohydrates. 
Like start with the, the, the carbohydrates that we know that are great, like your chickpeas and your lentils and your potatoes and your sweet potatoes and your yams and just have half a cup at lunch and half a cup at dinner and you'll find that, that those sugar cravings will, will start to go away. So when we have a little bit of the carbohydrates in our, in our meal, we do start to feel more balanced. And that's what my recommendation is for the, for the Wonder Woman and for the Femme Fatale. I really remove them for the nurturer because she's just, when she eats a cup, the insulin levels just spike up so quickly. So I take that out uh, and eventually you bring, them, you bring them back in to make everything a lot more, a lot more balanced. There, it should be relatively easy to alter that. You just you the chase cherry berry, the 5 HTP, always take some magnesium if you've got cramps, take the fish oil in tandem with all of this, and eat a very blood sugar stabilizing anti inflammatory uh, diet. And all of this is laid out later in the book. And, and if everything sounded confusing before and you're scribbling down notes on the hormones, you the archetypes do it for you. So I've taken out a lot of that work of what hormones are really influencing my body by giving you your archetype. You also have a great quiz on your website for anyone who wants to work out what archetype they are. Yes. And so 55,000 people have done that quiz. So I have a nice level of data. And just to share it with you, the nurturers and the Wonder Woman are fairly equally split. Wow. And then it's the ethereals are next, which is surprising for me. The last was the femme fatale. I think the femme fatale is 15% of the, the people that have actually done the quiz. I was happy to see that, but also surprised. Um, so let me talk a little bit about those two because I've spoken about the nurture and the yeah. Wonder Woman. So the femme fatale bases her, her self-worth on her uh, physical appearance. She doesn't have a distinct body type like the other three archetypes. The nurturer's body type, she tends to carry uh, body fat everywhere, just a little, a little layer, and tends to be a little hippie. And this is when she's out, out of balance. And the Wonder Woman will tend to carry body fat on the abdominal area. And then over time, if she doesn't watch things, she'll tend to stir it on the, the upper, upper area. And this has nothing to do with genetics. It's just where your body is stirring the body fat based on the hormones that are prevalent in, in your body. The femme fatale doesn't have a particular body type. She doesn't have a particular body type because it depends on how she's eating. So for some of the femme fatales, and many of my femme fatales, they're, just, they're restrictive eaters. So they can look a little too, too skinny, and there's a whole host of other conditions that will come with that. They may not be getting a period, moody and blue and, and anxious. Or they could look more like a Wonder Woman or a nurture, just depending on how they're eating. The other flip is to that is that they can be so restricted that they binge eat. Um, so they don't have a particular body type, but it's the mindset that really links them together. The ethereal is at the opposite end of the nurturer. So the ethereal tends to not, weight's not really her, her issue, but she tends to be low in estrogen. And when you're low in estrogen, you'll have bone issues, mood issues, anxiety. Um, she tends to experience many more digestive issues. Um, all the other archetypes can experience digestive issues, but the, the ethereal, she's extremely and exquisitely sensitive to people, her surroundings and food. And so the mind will alter the gut microbiome in the same way that the gut microbiome alters the mind. So she is sent to suffer that. So what happens is she will follow a diet that is designed to improve the gut microbiome. Maybe she thinks she has a bacteria in the small intestine called SIBO, and then she's on a diet called the low FODMAP diet, um, or could be on an anti-candida diet. And these really take out a lot of carbohydrates. 
and that will work for a nurturer, but it is terrible for the ethereal because the ethereal really needs those carbohydrates. She needs the carbohydrates to be able to stimulate the, the insulin and estrogen in, in her body. She tends to be quite airy and to get her really grounded, it's like eating the root vegetables and the chickpeas and the lentils to just like keep her rooted, <laughs> rooted to the earth. She works, she actually works really well with a vegan type of diet because she has this capacity to be able to eat the rice and the beans and the lentils and not gain weight and not cause her insulin levels just to skyrocket. That's the opposite for the nurturer. Like the nurturer should really not be following a plant-based diet, forgetting about the weight piece, but just for her own, own health because of the way that it stimulates the estrogen and the insulin. Once the nurturer becomes balanced and the body's back into, into balance, she could then transition to a plant-based diet if that's what she finds works for her. The ethereal can also, also respond very well to red meat. So, so she often tends to be low, low in iron, um, low in the testosterone. She has difficulty uh, building muscle. And so the red meat, when it's eaten on a consistent basis, will help to stimulate the testosterone. It's the same reason why I have the nurture on hardly any red meat because she tends to overproduce the testosterone. Um, she, and the nurture will have the PCOS. So they, they are just at the opposite ends of the, the spectrum here, but they're often eating the wrong diets. So the nurturer is eating the ethereal diet and the ethereal is eating the nurturer's diet. This is what I just love about your work because it is the opposite of all or nothing, black and white thinking. Like everything is just so nuanced. And I found it so refreshing because especially in this genre, like just because a keto diet is working for your friend, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. And you, and when you read about all the different archetypes, A, you can see yourself a little bit in all of them, but there's obviously mm -hmm. definitely one dominant one that you go, oh yeah, okay, that's me. <laughs> and, and, and the book provides these wonderful recipes, that, again, all so specialized and personalized to each of these archetypes. So I know we don't have much time left. Um, I would love to ask you just some like food quick fire, kind of like myth busting clear ups. I, I love the myth busting. Okay, so. great. <laughs> alternative milk or dairy? So here in the in the US, alternative milk for sure. So, and my favorite milk would be a macadamia nut milk, but I also like hemp milk, uh, flax milk, but I like macadamia nut milk. I'm not a huge advocate of almond milk from a sustainable perspective. And just because so many people are following a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, that almonds are coming in far, far too often. So definitely in the US, an alternative milk. In the UK, I'm not sure if I would say that. It, it would very much depend on uh, the quality of the milk um, where it's coming from and whether you have a sensitivity to, to dairy or not. Well, not everybody has a sensitivity to dairy. They sort of say that 33% of the population do. And so if you don't, then why not have milk? I just wouldn't suggest cow's milk in a smoothie if you want to lose weight because it has twice the amount of calories, sometimes three times the amount of calories as say macadamia nut milk or even an almond milk will have. So I would use uh, an alternative milk in, in a smoothie. Yeah, really interesting. Alcohol or no alcohol? Well, alcohol because it's life. So <laughs> Again, this is another reason I love Dana. She's like a little bit of everything and we're good. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate of tequila. Again, here we're in the US, so we have a, a multitude of tequilas to choose from. It is one of the cleanest alcohols. 
I, there are a lot of women that react, that have had candida in their body for a long time and then they react to brewer's yeast or any other form of yeast. So all of your champagnes and, and your wines are made with the brewer's yeast and you'll know whether you're reacting to that because you'll be a little cloudy. And if you're, if you're uncertain, like have one night, have a glass of wine and then the next night have a tequila. And if you notice a difference, then you probably have, a, if you notice a difference, then that would be that you feel a little bit more foggy with the wine, you probably have a sensitivity to the brewer's yeast. People are constantly thinking that it's the sulfates, and that may be the case, but with the people that I'm looking at, it, it's the yeast in the, in the wine and the champagne. And if champagne is worse for you, it's definitely the yeast. Interesting. So, yes, you have the antioxidants, and we all love the taste of, of the wine, um, but you will become accustomed to tequila. And once people start on tequila, you just you do just feel so much better that you will stay with tequila. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I know we've run out of time, and you're just honestly just thank you so much on behalf of everyone for the work you've done in creating such a kind of like so much clarity in a very kind of confusing world. Okay, it was lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Of course, it would be amazing and very appreciated if you wouldn't mind hitting subscribe and sharing this podcast. You can find me at Poppy Jamie on Instagram. DM me questions or any guest suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you have a moment, download Happy Not Perfect. It's my mindfulness app that helps you manage stress, anxiety, sleep, and ultimately makes you feel happier every single day in less than five minutes. See you next time. Sending you lots of love and energy. Till then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.